0: Wishing you a song here again. Wishing you a song near, Sometimes it seemed if I just dreamed, somehow you. Hello, and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, January 3rd, 2021. Happy New Year. My name is James Marino, and on the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Encore Magazine, we're, we're just about to have the inaugural issue, aren't
1: we? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what everybody else wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: see. You don't get the, uh, you don't see it in Blue Lines. Do they even do Blue Lines anymore?
1: I have no idea. Yeah, probably <laughs> not. Boy, I, that takes me back. Yeah. Blue Lines. Wow. Good for you.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. people still say Blue Lines, uh, Blue Lines were like the their proofs before they go to the uh, printers, uh, mm-hmm. and they were usually blue ink. Wherever you saw black <laughs> ink, you actually saw blue and things like that, and mm-hmm. that's where that all comes from. Also, Giggling there with Michael <laughs> Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at FilespotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So here we are, kicking off uh, 2021 in January... And you know how nature abhors a vacuum, right?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so uh, I, I, I think that in 10 years from now, uh, we're going to have a Peter Felicia trivia question that says, uh, what year did we not have a Tony Awards?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's official now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
0: But as nature does abhor a vacuum, one of the highlights uh, of the Tony Awards every year is the Remembrances section. And um, given that we did not have a Tony Awards this year and the Remembrances section was not uh, given its adequate due, a bunch of Broadway folks have stepped up and made it happen at BroadwayRemembrances.com. And they published a video uh, about eight or nine minutes um, on the uh, 2nd of January. And we'll have a link to it in the show notes. But Michael, Peter, and I took a look at it, and we were like, wow, this this is a, r- a really wonderful thing. And so, uh, Peter, why don't you give us your thoughts on the Broadway Remembrances video?
1: Well, um, I, I certainly had interactions with a lot of these people as, as time went on. And um, so the memories did come flooding back. Um, I'm going to start with a, a reasonably funny one, ironically enough, uh, because I think it's so... So strange that uh, John Simon and Sylvia
2: Miles
1: (laughs) died the same year because um, they have a history. Let's put it that way. Uh, Sylvia Miles, who was no shrinking violet, uh, received a a pan from uh, John Simon. Frankly, I don't know what he said, but um, we can remember when John Simon was truly, truly severe. And um, well... Anyway, they were in the same restaurant one night, and uh, Sylvia Miles decided to say hello. Uh, and the way she said hello was by getting a plate of spaghetti and pouring it on him. So, um, so yeah, um, I, I think every critic uh, really started um, getting a little easier on people after that happened. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the, cleaning, the cleaning bill for a, a, a suit is, is not inconsiderable and who knows she may have even ruined it, but, um,
2: I believe, didn't he, uh, supposedly say to her, you're going to pay to have this cleaned," And she said, yes. it'll be the first time it's been cleaned in t- 10 years. Yes, that's <laughs>
1: exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I do think it's funny that they, um, they died uh, reasonably close to each other. Um, he was always very nice to me. Um, but that had a lot to do with the fact that, um, I, uh, I was friendly with his wife Patricia Hoag Simon um, I, I first uh, met them at Laura Bell a lovely little restaurant I think it was on 43rd Street between 6th and 7th A beautiful beautiful place. It's a shame we lost it we looked very much like Rick's Cafe American in Casablanca and um, I had seen her production of She Loves Me which was phenomenal at Marymount um, College where she teaches and I went over to talk to her and he thought I was coming over to talk to him and mm. and he started rolling his eyes thinking, oh, here's somebody going to complain about a review. And she was walking away because she was so used to people talking to him. And I started talking to her and she was he was amazed. I ignored him completely like for six or seven times. <laughs> so I kept on <laughs> talking to her. And she, one time she sent me a Christmas card saying, John and I love your reviews. And I thought, honey, you might, but there's no way John Simon's going <laughs> to like my reviews because I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I, I accentuate the positive. you know. So anyway, uh, so uh, John was always very nice to me. And as a result of that, because I know that his wife obviously, you be nice to him. He's not like you, you know, I mean, so, so, um, so I've missed John um, seeing the, the very pleasant side of him and never got a speck of anything on any of my clothes uh, as a result of uh, John <laughs> Simon. <laughs>
0: All right. So, Michael, what did you think about this video?
2: Well, I just wanted to comment that I'm looking out my window, and just as we started to talk about this, I see a lovely snowfall has begun. has it? Uh, So I'm going to kind of keep that in mind in in remembering some of these folks. And also, uh, I I think we should say at the top, you know, we obviously will not be able to mention every single person because it was – Quite an awful and sad year in terms of the number of people, sure. um, so maybe we can yeah, maybe we can just comment on those that we either had personal experiences with or and or feel that we have you know something specific that that we'd like to say and and also before we start um I'd like to give the credits on the video we're discussing because I think it's so beautifully yeah, done yeah. uh, produced and conceived by uh, two people. I I'm not familiar with Mike Carnes and Stephen Tartik, Um and uh, music produced by Benedict Braxton Smith. Uh, those people I'm not familiar with, but the rest of the names I certainly uh, know well uh, directed by Role Esparza Music directed by Mary Mitchell Campbell, uh, vocals by Sierra Boggess, uh who sings Wishing You Were Somehow Near Again uh, from Phantom as, as her contribution to it. And Raul Esparza, who sings Time Heals Everything from Mac and Mabel. Um, so I, I I just thought it was beautiful beautifully done um i guess i'd like to start with uh, i think it's appropriate to start with hal prince uh, mm. because he was such a titanic figure um in the theater uh i mean the, the words are really not necessary <laughs> i i think in terms of any description or praise of his career uh, there's a wonderful little uh, the video includes uh, clips of a few of the people actually speaking, uh, you know, saying a few words at, in, in interviews or in, in public, uh, situations or whatever. And Hal Prince is one of them. And, uh, there's a clip of him. I don't, I don't know where it was, but he's talking in front of a group, uh, uh, you know, and I guess he's commenting on his career and his comment was, I can't sing and I can't act. So this is what I've done with my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was just wonderful. He was so, and also, uh, I I did have the pleasure of interviewing him once uh, in a full-length interview, and then I got to speak with him and meet him several other times. And he really did seem to be one of the nicest people on earth. And I have to say that, um, of course, Mr. Prince was a director and a producer, but two other producers that we lost um, during this period uh, had reputations not only for their their. Their great taste and their their success rate in the theater, but also as being just really upstanding wonderful, nice sweet people and they were Roger Berlin and margot lyon um, you know there 's the old joke that uh I, well obviously uh one does not become a producer to make friends uh there there are so many reasons why uh, a producer might make enemies more easily than than people in other fields so when you do have a producer who uh, not only do people not speak ill of them but i i always heard whenever anyone spoke about any of these three people to me they always made a point of saying how exceptional they were in terms of uh their being so wonderful as human beings and so nice and so sweet and so supportive and not mean and not nasty and not cutthroat and, and any of those things. So I think that that is, um, you know, aside from their accomplishments, that that is something that those three people, uh, that's a legacy that I think we, we could all aspire to and, and hope that we might have.
1: I'll never forget Roger Berlind, um, who produced Curtains, telling me. You know, uh, it was about mm, five, six months into the run, and the show would run more than a year, and which was pretty good for a show that didn't get rapes. And uh, he said to me, you know, this cast is so lovely. They're so nice. I never get the complaints I get usually when I produce a show in the morning. As soon as I get into the office, the phone is ringing saying, you've got to do something about so-and-so. He's driving me crazy. That type of thing. So this cast doesn't do that at all. They're so wonderful. They really love each other. And even though I know the show is not going to make a dime, as long as we can even slightly keep our head above water, all right, we might lose money this week, but next week we we might make it back. I'm keeping it open as long as I can because, really, these people are having such a good time, I don't want to spoil it for
2: them. Mm. I did not know, uh, uh, I, maybe I knew, but I forgot, and perhaps you you guys both know, uh, but in reading the obit of Mr. Berlind, I did not know or did not remember that Horrific tragedy that he had in. His I know was
1: not something.
2: Yeah, mm. having lost his wife and two of his three children in a That's plane something. crash. Can you imagine? Uh, but apparently, that was something. You know, I mean, when when something like that happens to a person, you can go one of two ways. You can just right. crumble, and you, mm-hmm. you know, or you can pull yourself together and realize what's mm-hmm. what's important in life, and and try to produce and to do good. And and he made the latter choice. Um, two things I can think of that uh, did not happen relative to his career, which, which are unfortunate that they did not happen was the paper mill, the wonderful paper mill playhouse production of follies uh, that he was involved in that they really tried to get that to Broadway, but it did not come. I still do not know for certain the reason I've heard competing versions of the story, but whatever it, whatever it did not come in. And then I think uh, I, I didn't, Double check this, but I think he was going to bring in the production of Mame that I saw at, uh, at, at in DC, uh-huh. at Christine Baranski, and I really liked that production. I, I not everyone agrees with me, but I thought it was were very well cast and very well done. So, um, so those are two disappointments, but you know more than balanced by everything that he did get accomplished and did. Get to do just really an, an incredible, an incredible um, record, and Margot Lyon. Even in the clip um, in this video that we're discussing, you can you can kind of hear uh, just her integrity <laughs> and what a wonderful uh, human being she was, and and so articulate and and seems so nice. Uh, so I I I again I, I just think these are three stellar individuals who will be remembered, hopefully, for for years and years and years to come in the theater.
1: Well, the other thing about Margot uh, was the fact that she certainly brought a lot of pleasure to a lot of people because it was her idea to do Hairspray. She was watching the movie and said, mm. oh, what a great musical this would be. And the thing we always hear about producers today is that uh, so many of them are just money people who come in thinking, well, maybe I'll make some money by doing this. But Margot was the old-world type of producer who initiated projects, and uh, that was the most significant one she did. And uh, when you think how popular Hairspray has been all over the world, it's really, really something, and it wouldn't have happened had she not been the type of producer who said, I can see something in this.
0: Now, uh, the thing about Margot is that uh, I'm sure this has happened since, but I I don't recall any specifics right now, but... I mean, Margot believed in hairspray and put her life savings on the That's line. Right. She, mor- she That's mortgaged right. her apartment, That's right. and uh, I mean, with se- you know seventy-five percent or so of all Broadway shows losing their investment, mm-hmm. she was th- she had a one in four chance of. Lo- losing her her life's uh, savings. Three
1: out of four chances. She has one...
0: Four well, she had a one-fourth chance of, of, re- of, of <laughs> still can, of re- yeah. recouping it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it was just... And she also took a young Adam Epstein under her wing and uh, made him uh, a, a Broadway producer. And, I mean, she was just, uh, from every angle, a Broadway producer's
2: Broadway producer. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And... One more thing on her is, uh, and I know I've said this before. I, uh, this project, I'm not sure if it was her idea, if she completely initiated it, but the wedding singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know she believed in that very much as well. And to this day, I will never understand why that show didn't run for years. Mm-hmm. I, I just have no no explanation for it whatsoever. I absolutely loved it, and I'm glad she did it, and I'm glad it brought brought great pleasure to those who did see it.
0: (laughs) I wanted to just mention briefly Roger Berlind uh, back in, um, was it the nineties? Yes, it was the 92 to 94. I worked for uh, Lehman brothers, the investment banking firm Uh, and Roger was on the board of Lehman. Uh, And I had a chance just by, by, sheer chance, not by, you know, my role at Lehman or anything, but by sheer chance, my office was on the executive floor of Lehman Brothers. Um, And so I had the chance to see him and run into him occasionally. And I cornered him once. Uh, and i'm sure that he thought oh my god we're going to yeah, sure. i'm going to be i'm going to be pitched here yeah. some sort of financial product or some <laughs> sort of thing and he kind of i said hello and i was like i'm a great fan of yours and uh, and i was like um, i talked about the how broadway impacted me and he lit up and he was just very excited and engaged. And every time that I saw him since, he asked me what I was going to see. I mean, he's just a wonderful, oh. wonderful guy. Yeah. Very, very, very nice guy. So
1: another producer, though, um, <clears throat> I will grant you, not doing nearly as much, came into it very late um, and had a tremendous success right away, it was Roger Horchow. Um, who had that wonderful catalog of all these uh, upscale items and made his money and said, I'm going to produce a Broadway show that means something to me. And that became crazy for you. And it was supposed to be a one-time thing. You know, I just want to do one. Well, yeah, you know, of course, when you have a hit like that, you can't get it out of your system. So he was involved with Kiss Me, Kate, and the aforementioned Curtains and um, right up to Bandstand only uh, a few years ago. And uh, what was really nice is that... Uh, <laughs> You know, the boss could certainly make decisions and um he said to Equity, um, listen, you know, there's a part of the show in Crazy View that I think I'd be right for. Do you mind if I do it just for one night? And um so anyway they said sure, go ahead. And um so he uh he played the Carlton Carpenter role, um, the, the Polly's father. And uh, and I will admit, he was a little on the stiff side. Yes, he <laughs> was. yes, he was. Yes, he was. But he was so game and so endearing that uh, you really uh, were very happy. And he had a very nice night. And it, 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 he's entitled. And I, he, this is another one we may not have had crazy for you if it weren't for Roger Huntshaw.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Michael, you were reading the credits, and something I wanted to bring up as, mm. as insofar as um, the credits go is that not only was this a big, huge Broadway collaborative project, um, but that it also, they uh, listed uh, about 350, maybe 370 or so people uh, that had passed away in the 2019-2020 season. Um, and they invited People to keep adding to this list if they've missed anybody, which is really nice.
2: Yeah, one uh, that was mentioned that they they miss, and of course you can't have everyone, Uh, you can't remember, is um, Billy Goldenberg, Mm. who I think uh, was it only the one Broadway credit ballroom.
1: Um, He may have had some interaction. Uh, Let's check. He may have had some interaction uh, here and there with some sort of orchestration or even a melody that showed up in a show. But uh, but yes, uh, we all think of ballroom when we think of Billy Goldenberg.
2: Yeah, absolutely, nice and scholar. that was nice a wonderful scholar. show for all its.
1: It really was. You know, I, again, it's very hard when you when you're uh, following a masterpiece. And the masterpiece we're talking about is a chorus line, and um, it was Michael Bennett's first show after that. And really, had it come before, everybody would have been crazy about it. I think. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah Billy Goldenberg had a lot uh, of uh, credits uh, with dance arrangements and um, ah, okay, special material. I mean. Uh, shows that um, some people uh, might not know, like Let It Ride and Henry Sweet Henry, but 110 in the Shade, uh, way back when, in 1963. He wow. did the dance arrangements for it, and they're very nice, in fact, and High Spirits, which, believe me, uh, oh, um, I saw High Spirits at the Colonial in Boston, and I'm telling you, that dance music for uh, Go Into Your Trance was so incredible. I couldn't wait to hear the cast album, and of course, it's terribly truncated, terribly truncated, but I'm telling you, if you can find a, a in theater, It's early for those. There is one, though. Um, If you hear that dance arrangement in its entirety, it is incredible beyond belief. So, so yes, um, even though Billy Goldberg didn't concentrate on Broadway, uh, what he did do was really something.
0: So, uh, Peter, who's next on your list?
1: Well, um, Phyllis Newman, who was always um, astonishingly nice to me. And um, what was really something was – When her obituary was in the uh, Times, they actually uh, quoted something that I had written about her in the Star-Ledger, though it was something that was in her one-woman show. Um, Her one-woman show was originally called My Mother Was a Fortune Teller. When it moved to Broadway, it was (laughs) called The Mad Woman of Central Park West. And Phyllis Newman was in Subways After Sleeping. And – it was a David Merrick production and David Merrick had also produced, I can get a beer wholesale that same season. And in the category of best supporting actress in a musical was Phyllis Newman and Barbara Streisand. And for that matter, so was uh, Barbara Harris in a show that really was the musical from the second city. And also for that matter, Elizabeth Allen, but anyway, in the show in the actual show, the one woman show that Phyllis Newman did in the late seventies, early eighties, whenever it was, um, she had an announcer um, uh, over the sound system say, and the nominees are you know, Phyllis Newman, Barbara Streisand, Barbara Harris. She didn't mention Elizabeth Allen because I think nobody much <laughs> knew who she was. But anyway, the point was she talked about getting the part and getting the part wasn't easy because she was supposed to play this beauty queen from down south. And David Merrick said to Adolph Green, y- y- You need a va 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 voom lady. I mean, Phyllis Newman just isn't the type that you would assume would be a Southern Belle beauty contest winner. Um, unfortunately, the problem was that Adolph Green was indeed married to Phyllis Newman. And my favorite line of all time, when Phyllis Newman said, this is one time the actress got the part by not sleeping with the author. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the image in your head of them being in the same bed and her turning a cold shoulder to him, you know, while he's wondering what he can do. She had to audition five times before finally David Merrick said, all right, all right, all right, put her in. And in fact, <laughs> she said that um, at the night of the Tonys, when um, the announcement is about to be made, you know, and the winner is, he turned to her and said, I voted for Streisand, <laughs> Phyllis Newman. Yeah, so she had the last laugh and the Tony.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Michael, how about you? What's next?
2: I'm glad you got that Merrick story in there, that that last thing, because <laughs> yeah, I've always, I, I think Phyllis took great delight in telling that story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so who can blame her? <laughs> um, someone I, you know uh, the people on the on the list <laughs> the list of those we 've lost uh, vary I, I would say in terms of fame in terms of how sure. familiar their names are to the general public. One uh, name that is maybe not that famous to the general public uh, was Gerald Friedman, yeah. who started off as an assistant director on such shows as West Side Story and Gypsy, the original productions. Um, then he went on to be a director himself uh, of such shows as The Gay Life. And uh, he, he, was, he became a custodian, I would say, of, of West Side Story for decades mm-hmm. in many productions on Broadway and elsewhere, really until uh, you know, fairly recently when other people uh, took it upon themselves to revise the show into oblivion. Uh, but until then, uh, Gerald Friedman was the, the one who people turned to uh, for that purpose, and he did a wonderful job of it. But his other credits include The Robber Bridegroom um, and The Grand Tour, uh, 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 an unfortunately uh, short-running Jerry Herman show. Just uh, just really wonderful. Look him up, and, and I think you'll be very impressed with him as someone who, again, is not a household name, but really had some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful accomplishments. Original director of hair. Mm. Oh, before uh, Tom O'Horgan. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah. So, Peter, how about you?
1: Well, um, I was sad to see Lynn Cohen uh, died. Um, This is Fitz Michael's description of somebody that not everybody knows. Um, she was a wonderful interview. She was um, no kid when I interviewed her. I would say it was in the last three years of her life. Uh, and she was just so full of enthusiasm. Uh, I, I just have such fond memories of that. But the next memory I have of that wasn't so fond, not because of Lynn, but because we were going up to the marquee um, ballroom for the drama desk uh, celebration after the awards, and the elevator got stuck. And there were about 10 of us. Um, uh, Francis Huey was in it too. Um, and you know, there we were for a half hour thinking all the food we're missing. Because you know how quickly food goes at any of these parties. With, you know, <laughs> Actors, <laughs> have you ever eaten with one? So, um, so, <laughs> And so we all had to keep each other uh, from getting cranky or scared. You know, are we going to be here forever? Uh, oh, my God. Um, what happens if we have to go to the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera? Um, so uh, we did the best we could. And we decided, all of us that we would um, have a nice little confab and uh, talk to each other and really get to know each other. And Lynn Cohen was really, really good at drawing people out and making them feel you should pardon the expression at home. So a very fond memory of her. Bernard Slade um, did a few plays, his most famous same time next year. Nice play. Saw the tryout in Boston, enjoyed it immeasurably. But for me, for me, play Tribute is one that literally changed my life, and I mean that. Um, I became a different person after seeing Tribute uh, in the late 70s. Tribute was about a beloved comic. Everybody was crazy about him, oh, oh, except his son, because uh, his father cheated on his mother, and he lived with his mother, and he barely saw his father, and so he has real resentment about the father. Well, now the father has cancer, and now the father is terminal. And now they're going to have a tribute to him and they want the kid to come and the kid's reluctant, but all right, all right, I will come. But he comes with, you know, as David Zippel said in um, The Goodbye Girl, a chip on his shoulder the size of the Empire State. I mean, he doesn't want to be there. And what he uses the uh, experience to be is to ask people, what is it about my father that you like? You know, and, and in a very hostile way, because he, he, he defies people to say, why is it? And one person said, because he treats everybody the same, everybody. And that had never occurred to me. And, you know, I, we are so many times different people to different people. And what I found was being the same person to everybody is not only a lovely thing to be, but it's also easier. I mean, it really is. And <laughs> so, you know, it, it's all about being yourself and just being the nicest person you can to everybody. And um, it, it really made a difference in my life. Also, um, one person said, he's the type of person you're always glad to see when you see him. And I thought, oh, that's somebody I want to be. I'm not saying I've been successful at it, but it's it's something I really tried to be. And all that came from Bernard Slade. And I am so glad that when the musical version of same time next year played at Mel Miller's musicals tonight that I was able to talk to him and tell him this and, um, and see how moved he was to hear that, um, somebody really paid attention to
0: his words and really started to live by them. We'd like to thank BetterHelp for continuing to sponsor Broadway Radio. We've been talking for a few weeks about BetterHelp and the benefits of talking with one of their professional counselors. I've spoken with many listeners throughout 2020, and I know that the lack of being able to go to live theater has impacted all of us. From friends who work in the industry, not being able to pay their rent and put food on the table, all the way through fans who dearly missed the curtain rising at 8.07 p.m., as it gave them a respite from the everyday travails of life. The global theater community is just that, a community that we have all come to depend upon one another. BetterHelp can be a part of your community, and help you make it through the hard times. Now, I'm not saying that your licensed therapist is going to sing before the parade passes by, but they will help you hold your head up high. BetterHelp will match you with your own licensed professional therapist, but also recognizes that you may need to make a change, so they make it easy and free to change counselors. You can talk with your counselor in many ways, by phone, by video, by messages using the BetterHelp app, Whatever suits your needs in a convenient, safe, and private online environment. Come on, give your best friend a break. They are not professional counselors, but BetterHelp is. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours without having to ever sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is available worldwide and is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. We know that 2020 has been hard financially, and financial aid is available. There's a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, anger, stress, family conflicts, anxiety, LGBT matters, relationships, grief, sleeping, self-esteem, trauma, everything. Anything that you share is confidential. One thing to note is that BetterHelp is not a crisis hotline. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener to This Week on Broadway... You'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com broadway Radio. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's com slash Radio. We'd like to thank BetterHelp for continuing to sponsor Broadway Radio. All right, Michael, what's next on your list?
2: Well, I just mentioned West Side Story and Gypsy in in terms of Gerald Friedman, but also I, I'll mention those two shows again in reference to a, an orchestrator who a great, great orchestrator who died uh, recently, Sid Raymond. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say uh, it's fair to say that if he only had those two credits, <laughs> uh, that would be immortality in the musical theater. But he he had many more credits than that, including A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum and Wonderful Town and Wildcat. And I checked his last show, I had not remembered this was the red shoes in -hmm. 1993 which uh i just looked it up and i uh i wasn't sure uh, there was no cast album of it is that correct yeah Yeah. well that's unfortunate because it would have been um nice to capture his his last work in that field but he was really he was just a master at that Uh, i always loved the fact that actually for both films, but especially the film version of West Side Story, they essentially kept the original orchestrations intact because they were so phenomenal that they realized that, that they they really could not improve on them. Uh, and I think uh, all of us have those incredible, beautiful orchestrations in our ears mm. uh, and, in, and in our hearts uh, for really one of the greatest scores ever written. And it, to have it to have had it orchestrated so beautifully is something we should not take for granted. Um, Who else did I want to mention? Uh, Another, you know, some people are lesser known because of the field within they work uh, within which they work. Uh, Herbert Kretzmer is someone I'd like to mention because it's, it's interesting. I am not overall, a great fan of Les Misérables for many reasons, but I do have to say that I think he did a superb job. Of uh, you can't really just say translating the original French lyrics because he did much much more than that. They're not direct translations. They're uh, they're really new, basically almost new lyrics, new English lyrics written to some of the melodies that were uh, that were originally composed for the original French version of Les Miserables, which also was, I think maybe about half the length, uh, if that of the, of the version that we all have come to know. Um, so he did an amazing job on that. And I do think that he is the unsung hero of that show, because if he had not, Uh, If his lyrics had not been so good, so wonderfully well written, I don't think that show would have made it Um, there. It could so easily have been a tremendous flop. And it was obviously not. So I I really think um, that he is someone who maybe does not get full credit for his contribution to that worldwide phenomenal success.
1: Let him be an inspiration to all of us too, because here's a man who did not have a brilliant career up to Le Miz. Um you may or may not, uh, it's got to be one or the other, have heard of a movie called Can herodimus Merkin <laughs> <laughs> Boy, it's got a long title. It's an Anthony Newley movie. Mercy Hump is uh in there somehow too. Um and he was the lyricist on that. And mm-hmm. the picture was a terrible failure. Um it, it, you can't find it anywhere. Um, The soundtrack album has never been put on CD that I know of. And, um, and and again, with a bomb like that, usually people disappear into the woodwork, never to be seen again. And yet little did he know when that disaster disaster happened that indeed um, that he would certainly (laughs) reap benefits that he couldn't have even begun to imagine when, when, when that was happening. It's funny. the, The last part of that, Title is and find true happiness. <laughs> and I imagine he did uh, as a result of Blame Is. Um, and uh, especially when you're really down and out and you really believe that nothing good is ever going to happen to you, to have a success like that must be so, so, so much sweeter. Yeah. So, so much sweeter. Um, Diana Rigg. Uh, I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Diana Rigg at um, Symphony Space. Uh, We had a nice um, evening together. And what was really something, um, it started at 8 o'clock and I got there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon just for a sound check and things like that. And there were men in line waiting to see her um, at four o'clock in the afternoon, four hours away. And these were people who were crazy about her when she was young and she was the prisoner um, in that series, the prisoner. And remember, she's the only person that James Bond ever married. Um, And, um, (laughs) and so she must've really had something for him to be so smitten. And I will never forget how all of them were there so that they could be in the front rows. And, Looking at them every now and then, glancing at these people in the front rows, all of them in their 60s, 70s, 80s, their faces were teenagers' faces again. It was so amazing to see. They were so glad to be in her presence and again, you know, at this point, she did not like sh- look as she did in on her majesty's secret service. you know um, and we all lose our charms in the end. no question about it and <laughs> and but that's not what they saw that's what was so wonderful about it. They saw the Emma Peel that they knew and loved way back when, and uh, it was an unforgettable night for that reason. I was very, very um, happy and proud to be a part of it. <laughs>
0: So, uh, Michael, um, do you have anybody in your list that was an unexpected uh, somebody that showed up?
2: Well, uh, one of the, I, I would say, more obscure people that I was actually just going to mention was Jeff Fenholt. Uh, who only had one Broadway credit, sure. yeah. at, at creating the role of Jesus in the original production of Jesus Christ Superstar. And I did see him in it, and he was perfect for the role, uh, I must say. In fact, he, uh, he then left the theater, uh, I'm not sure how long thereafter, and became a Christian evangelist and singer, uh, which I guess ex- partly explains why he only has that one credit. I, I think he did do superstar in later years. Did he not?
1: Yeah. I think I even saw him do it. Or am I thinking of um, the other guy who seen? No,
2: to- I think they both did. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he did not do it later. Uh, anyway, uh, you can look him up. He, he was, he was quite something. And, and there was an album of highlights, of the original Broadway cast of Jesus Christ Superstar. So you can hear him on that. Uh, who else uh, comes to mind here? Uh, gosh, it's hard to know who you know who to mention first. Um, Howell Binkley, the great lighting designer. Uh, Bob Ullman is, uh, I, I guess Bob Ullman, yeah. Well, I, I can say de- definitively Bob Ullman, Bob Ullman is the only person on on the list that i can 't say was a personal friend we uh I think we originally met through josh Ellis um, yeah
1: uh, they were very friendly yeah yes mm-hmm.
2: yes but he bob was a was a uh, almost legendary press agent uh, whose credits included the original production of a chorus line and uh he was so beloved in the industry that he That's had absolutely true that he had uh the lobby of the uh the formerly the Biltmore theater, theater now the Friedman correct yeah uh, uh co-named after him and his fellow beloved legendary press agent uh, uh friend Shirley Hertz. So if you, uh, when you are able to go into the Friedman again, uh, if you haven't noticed it before, look up above the box office windows. Uh, I know it's on that side. Maybe it's on the other side as well. And it says the, uh, Shirley Hertz and Bob Ullman lobby. I think that's how it's phrased. He really was quite something. And as you can imagine, he had incredible stories (laughs) um he he also uh he loved he worked with um at least once at least once ethel merman and loved her so much that his that bob's email address was olmerm (laughs) at i think aol uh but uh yeah i i thought that was great that for a press agent to love to love a a performer so much that they make them the part part of their email address. That's a great tribute, I think.
1: Well, in fact, what's really astonishing about that is the fact that uh, you might say, well, you know, all right, he probably was at the end of Dolly, you know, and um, so that was 1970. No, he was the press station on Call Me Madam in 1950. So the fact that they kept in touch for all those years until she died in the eighties is really something, but they really did. I mean, she really admired him that much. Rosemary Harris spoke so well of him too. She said he Mm. tried so hard to make something out of uh, the climate of Eden. um, A play that she was in that only lasted 16 days. And she said he believed in it so much. And he, I I could see him calling up people um, and saying, you've got to see this and all that. And in fact, she said that um, he was very instrumental in um, having Daniel Blum come and see the show. And uh, he gave her a Theatre World Award. And that's how that happened. Uh, But it 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 wouldn't have happened without Bob Ullman. So um, he really did go the extra mile. And it's no wonder that he worked with... um, Not only Joe Papp and the Shakespeare Festival doing a lot of their shows, but um, even wound up working for David Merrick for a little while and uh, everybody winds up working with David Merrick for a little while. But anyway, um, so a quite distinguished career. He retired in 1980 um, and and certainly could have continued. Could have, But um, he saw that the business was changing so much that um, the problem was it mm-hmm. used to be you had to answer to one producer. And of course, with all these producers, um, you know, 20 producers on a show, 20 people come up to you and say, here's what you got to do. This is the answer. You know, and it, it, everybody contradicts each other. And so he said, I've, I've got to get out. You know, I, I just can't please everybody. As difficult as David Merrick was, <clears throat> at least, you know, he was one person. And, and you knew where he was coming from every minute of the day, but, um, but not with 20 producers. And that's why he um, left the business in 1980.
2: You know, someone that I, I wanted to mention when he died quite recently on December 2nd is Warren Berlinger. Mm. Uh, who maybe is not the most famous name, but he I just he had nine Broadway credits, starting as a a, a little boy uh, that 's how he 's billed in the original production of Annie Get your gun mm. I, I presumably he played her, her uh, those, well, those kids Yeah, uh, you know, one of those brother brothers and sisters <laughs> right? And yeah, <laughs> with, with that in doing what comes yeah, naturally, naturally etc. Yeah. yeah. Uh he was also as a as a very young person in The Happy Time, not the musical, mm-hmm. the play in 1950. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh perhaps his most significant Broadway credit was Come Blow Your Horn yeah. in 1961. Uh but he also did a lot of film and TV, which you can look him up and find that. And and one thing uh, that that he did uh, that I remember him for is that he played the lead the Robert Morse role in the London production of mm-hmm. How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying obvi- uh, opposite uh, Billy DeWolf mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember when I directed a uh, high school production of How to Succeed Low these many years ago in 1979 I did a lot of research on it including going to the Lincoln Center library and listening to the uh, London cast album which is I think you know it was the only place i could get it at that time and uh i remember enjoying it very much and and i since was able to acquire it uh through a friend like a, a copy of it uh i i advise listening to it it's it's one of the really good london cast albums of an american musical and obviously that role is um, is a wonderful showcase for anyone who has the talent and the charisma for it. And I would absolutely say that applied to Warren Berlinger. You also have to
1: be impressed by the people who remember you. And, uh, so my personal, um, Feelings for Zoe Caldwell are especially intense because she always did. Ah, uh, Mr. Felicia, she would always say when she saw <laughs> me with great enthusiasm. Um, and uh, I, I told the story recently, but for those who missed it, we had her present a Theatre World Award um, during the Year uh, that the motherfucker with the hat was playing, and she <laughs> just dove in, you know, and the motherfucker with the hat, you know. And I mean, it was just, she was just so game, as she she says, as if she was saying a nursery rhyme. And um, she was just so um, wonderfully imperious without being imperious. I mean, she, she had that feeling up to the man or bond, but yet she was down to earth as well. And um, I, again, I've told the story not that long ago, but I will again, uh, because I love it so much. When I um, saw her, uh, uh, for the first time, and I said, Your, when she was doing Master Class, and I said, Your performance in Master Class is the second greatest performance I've ever seen an actress give. Uh- please wait. Uh, The best one was you in the prime of Miss Jean Brody. Now, I don't want you to think that you've lost a step, that this is the second greatest performance for that reason, but you really took me by surprise. I didn't know who you were in 1967 when I saw Jean Brody, a show that I saw on Wednesday and went back to see again on Saturday because it was such a mesmerizing performance. And she said, you saw Jean Brody? You must have been very young. And I said, no, um, I was already 21. And she said, 21 is very young to be going to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> so God love her. You know, really, she was something.
2: She's quoted in the, in the video, the wonderful video we're discussing. Uh, I mean, th- there's a clip of her speaking, and she says something to the effect of uh, she thinks it's very important to have danger in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think she was referring to the, the, the danger Spider-Man? of life. I'm sorry, (laughs) Spider-Man. No, 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 she meant something else.
0: Okay. No, (laughs) I don't think she meant physical danger. Uh,
2: I I believe she meant the danger of life performance in terms of uh, anything can happen. And, you know, uh, and she said, I think she says something to the effect of, uh, I think in the theater, having danger is a swell thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And another wonderful quote, uh, a clip of a quote in in the video is Brian Dennehy, the great, great, great actor who says, um, something about how, uh, there's nothing like it when there are a a thousand people in a theater and no one is making a sound because they're all listening. Mm. And I, of course I know exactly what he means. I, I seem to remember more than one moment like that when I saw him in death of a salesman, um, and then I, I think I've told this story before. Uh, this is not in silence, but I, I'll never, ever, ever forget this. There's that scene in Death of a Salesman where the whole family are talking, and it's a very happy moment, one of the few happy moments in the play. And uh, they're going on about you know, reminiscences or whatever, and Willie's going on and on. And Linda, his wife, keeps trying to you know, to add her own thoughts. And every time she does, he he's like, ah, yeah, yeah no, that's not right. Be, be quiet. Um, and he does it. He did it like three or four times. And the wonderful Liz- Elizabeth Franz was playing Linda. And I'll never forget uh, the, like the last time he did it three or four people around me went, Oh, Oh, so I think uh, somebody said bastard, you know, it was, <laughs> people were so into, what this these characters that these people have created on stage and of course with great help from arthur miller <laughs> um and i will never ever forget that but it's very true what he says about silence in the theater at at, at dramatic moments when you can literally almost literally hear a pin drop um i've always said that uh, uh conversely uh two two of the 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 greatest moments in the theater are when uh when an entire theater is just rolling in laughter and the c- community of that kind of community response but i think you know they're both unequaled uh it, 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 you really don't get anything like that in, in, in any other situation uh, other than live performance and that's <laughs> one of the many reasons why we all miss it so so desperately and hope mm. that it comes back very soon hopes that it comes back um yeah. <laughs> two gay pioneers mark crowley larry
1: mm. kramer um did a great deal for the gay community in very different ways yes. um uh, the boys in the band certainly uh brought a lot of awareness to uh to people that um gay should not be Uh, treated terribly because looks what happened to them if they do larry kramer i'll never forget when uh, the broadway revival of the normal heart happened and uh, i was very surprised to come out of the theater and there he was passing out uh, literature Uh, he didn't let people know he was larry kramer he was just uh, this arbitrary person who was hired for two bucks an hour to pass out uh, flyers on the street to uh, for his cause. Um, he, he he was not interested in getting attention for himself. He was interested in getting attention for his cause, uh, for people to still to be uh, working f- to make sure that AIDS uh, disappears. And um, it, it really, uh, the normal heart uh, affected a great many people in a very different way from the boys in the band. But both of those plays and both those playwrights who will be remembered m- for those plays. Um, that's what really put them on the map. Uh, certainly, Larry Kramer did a lot more writing than Mark Crowley did. And um, certainly, uh, one of his novels with a, with a name that uh, we're not very, very fond of, but um, was, was an important one, too. But it's the normal heart for which he'll be most remembered. And I'm very glad that um, the HBO special was... Um, Recorded, and I'm very glad, of course, that the Boys and Band has two uh, film versions that will um, last forever. So uh, I'll I'll miss them both.
2: You know, I I think I mentioned I did recently acquire the recording of the original production on LP, two LPs, in fact. And it's fascinating to listen to it, uh, especially if one knows the film version really well, the original film version, and to hear the different. To hear when the inflections and the line readings are very similar and when they're very different. I I highly advise everyone to do that. Um, Someone, uh, I suppose, a relatively obscure person who we lost um, during this period was Anna Quayle. Uh, who uh, uh, she, her one Broadway credit is, as all the women, all the lovers basically <laughs> in stop the world. I want to get off. And uh, many people know her and love her from the cast album of that, but also she was the baroness in the, uh, in the original film, uh, musical film of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, and uh, those are, those are my two experiences of her uh, and I treasure them both, even, you know, so it's, it's not always about quantity. Sometimes it's, qual- it's, it's quality. And,
1: and she won the Tony. Um, and uh, I believe she was the only person from that show that did. Um, wow. And um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating performance on the album because she is asked to play a typically English woman, she's uh, asked to play a Russian woman, a German woman. And an American woman, and uh, her accents and all of them are just so wonderful. Um, the the um, the American woman uh, is like a showgirl type, uh, and um, and you know, after hearing her, be so. Uh, utterly English at the beginning uh, because there she plays the wife of little chap. So she gets to um, be there uh, more than the other women uh, who, Mm -hmm. with whom little chap has affairs. That's um, and of course, one of the points is that uh, men keep marrying this and and getting attracted to the same women um, and men, women to men too, that uh, they have a certain type. And um, so uh, even though of course, it was more economical to uh to have one actress play four roles uh there was there was a theme that really supported that, and so yeah, I would have liked to have seen her i I only saw the touring company and she didn 't do it so uh but that album really makes a great case for why she won the tony
2: definitely uh someone we lost way 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 too young is Mark Blum yeah uh 9 broadway credits beginning with uh the merchant in 1977 and ending with the assembled parties in 2013 um he really superb excellent journeyman actor and a great loss uh, the the um of course not not all of the people that we lost during this period were to covid uh but I Believe he he was one, uh, and and that's really that's really really sad. Um, who else? Some I'm just looking at my list here. It's it's really it's really so sad. Let
0: me throw in one here sure. for a second. Yeah. Uh, Merwin Forward. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, just I, I had the funny part about. How I met Merwin was that I was actually—we were joking about talking about blue lines before. I was copy editing uh, a playbill, and I was like, "You spelled this guy's name wrong. His name's not Merwin. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can't be." <laughs> right. yeah. And it was, uh, Merwin and Merwin Forward, and yeah, and uh, he was just uh, just a, a real beautiful person, an incredible talent. He understudied a ton of people Mm -hmm. uh, stood by for a lot of people on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was always working. I couldn't wait for him to have his great character role breakout Mm -hmm. type of thing that, that uh, was going to make him a big star. Um, And I was just shocked when I saw the news that he had passed away. Well, he did have,
2: um, I I thought that, Uh, what might be the breakout was when he played Richard Henry Lee in the revival of 1776. And, you know, he, he worked constantly and steadily, but, uh, but yeah, he, I knew him only slightly and he seemed like a really, really sweet, very, very funny guy. He is one of those uh, artists featured in the film, the standbys uh, to, uh, to, 2012 film about standbys and understudies. I highly, highly advise everyone to see that. If you haven't, he really, um, he really is great in that. And that was a showcase for him in that respect. Um, I think I have mentioned the last time I saw him was when I was in DC. I don't remember what show I was seeing, but I was at the Kennedy center at the same time that he was there in the sound of music playing max, um, and also in the building that same afternoon uh, and evening was Donald Trump because they were having some kind of a rally <laughs> uh, in in the third theater uh, at the Kennedy Center. So, we, uh, so Merwin and I joked a little bit about that, but it was really great to see him then. And of course, I, I had no clue at the time that it would be the last time I would see him. So rest in peace to him.
1: Well, the other thing, too, um, it's being a standby or an understudy, of course, is such a thankless job in so many ways, because you may never, ever, ever go on, of course. But when you look and see what he was um, an understudy and standby for, it tells you something about him, because, indeed, what we're talking about here Mm. are substantial roles. They really have to trust that the person who's going to go on is going to be able to do it. So when you think that he was the understudy for Sweeney Todd, um, that's, that's, that's pretty impressive for Gaston in uh, Beauty and the Beast. um, He really got those big, big understudy parts. And um, King Triton in uh, Little Mermaid is certainly another one. Um, And Gomez in the Adams Family, which uh, he did go on uh, for the last few weeks when uh, Nathan Lane left. But that does tell you something that they trust you with the lead. Uh, it may be a secondhand compliment, a left-handed compliment, but nevertheless, it does say something about you that they trust you. That if something went wrong with the announced star, that you'd be able to fill those shoes, and that's pretty good.
2: Oh, and closely related to that is uh, I have often heard it said of people who are uh, who are well known as standbys and covers that they are so good in that respect that sometimes that works against them becoming stars because Absolutely true. they're, they're so incredibly valuable yep. because of their versatility and their, their great talent as standbys and covers that, uh, and it's, you know, it may be un- terrifically unfair to them in, in a sense, but, but it is, as Peter said, it's a great compliment in another sense.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry we lost Diane Carroll. and I'm sorry she never got to do Sunset Boulevard here. Yeah, um, she was one of the first people I ever saw on stage. I was um, I saw the original production in No Strings, in which um, she shared a Tony Award with Anna Maria Bergetti and Carnival, and um, she she had a distinct. Uh, look and a distinct uh, personality on stage and uh, a voice that really is unlike anybody else's and that cast album is really quite a, an album um, and partly of course because Richard Rogers was writing in a swinging style that he hadn't written in uh, during the Hammerstein years and um, she really uh, has a lot of bite to the way she sings those songs and it's really quite impressive but you know really I'm I'm so sorry that Sunset Boulevard didn't wind up being a show that had a parade of actresses of you should pardon the expression a certain age uh who could have done it and I mean really um I, when that opened I thought oh this is going to be like Dolly you know they're going to bring in all these uh older women uh who um, were stars at one point and uh, uh were passed by for one reason or another and now they're going to have this wonderful renaissance and I'm still disappointed that didn't happen I would have liked Sunset Boulevard to run for 10 or 20 years with all these people that we hadn't seen in a long time come in and do it. I think it would have been great. And the fact that she was so near yet so far because she did it in Canada. Um, I, I really thought she was going to come here and do it. And I was really sorry that she didn't. So um, really get the album of no strings. Um, if you don't have mm-hmm. it. It, 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 it's really Richard Kiley's in it too. And um, it, it really is. Magnificent music. Um, Rogers wrote the lyrics and I'll grant you that he tends to repeat rather than mm. write new lyrics in each song, but um, it's, it's very worthwhile to hear the album, especially for the way she says, wahoo, wahoo. I won't say what the context is, but anyway, it's, it's, it's unique.
2: Another great al- another great album of hers, uh, by the way, is house of flowers, even though she was apparently ill at the time of the recording, uh, which resulted in
1: yeah, that's something <laughs> the most com- bizarre thing ever. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> the composer Harold Arlen that's dubbing right. one note for her
1: at the end. Yeah, yeah.
2: At, the, at the end of the song, I never yeah. has seen snow, Isn't that incredible? which one of the most beautiful songs ever, ever written for Broadway.
1: I'm embarrassed we haven't talked about Charles McNally yet um and um of course he a major major playwright um who started off uh, n- with no idea that it would become what he would become what he became he his first job was actually doing a new version of the lady of the camellias which was a terrible disaster in um 63 or sixty sixty three 63 i think it was and uh, then his notorious and things that go bump in the night uh, which opened to terrible pans um so he must have really thought he was all done and uh, and he wasn't and he wasn't and um one of the few people who could really write a a serious play and uh do very well by it and write a serious musical and do very well by it too so so um there aren't that many that can really write great plays and great musicals Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm talking about ragtime specifically and that's a tough not to crack ragtime. I mean, good Lord, all those characters. What do you do next? I mean, so um, very, very impressive. And um, there's no mystery why he's in the theater hall of fame and no mystery why he won so many Tonys and drama desk awards during his career. So, and a nice, nice, nice man. Oh, so sweet. So, so accessible. Loved, loved greeting people loved seeing them uh, I <laughs> when I used to see him across uh, a crowded room um, I, whoever he was talking to there was always this big smile on his face and I, I don't ever recall him even giving something that remotely looked like a frown and of course uh, we all do that and uh, he, certainly he took his lumps here and there too for various plays but but still Terence McNally wound up being one of the great great playwrights in the American theater
2: yeah, you know, I've never seen the film of Ragtime, but I know it's not that well regarded. Uh because I think uh people feel that there's not a good balance between the three the three basic stories in it. Mm-hmm. The uh you know, the, the uh Tate story and the uh the New Rochelle family story and the and the and the and the, the African American story. But um and that was a, a, a movie, you know, uh without music. Uh so Terrence McNally's achievement in that was that he was able to write a libretto, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, for a musical, making room for all of that, all of those songs. <laughs> uh, and still, uh, I, I think everyone would agree, give equal weight to the three stories, which is one of the one of the great uh, pleasures of ragtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that makes it a truly, truly mas- a, a, a really a masterpiece of a musical.
1: I'm, I'm always sorry that I didn't meet Olivia de Havilland uh, for mm. a specific reason. Uh, Jim Wilhelm, her agent, said, um, and I met him in the 90s. And in the 90s, Olivia de Havilland was in her 80s. And uh, she did die at 104, and we should all be so lucky to live that long. And again, her Broadway credits only three, um, and only one was for an original play, A Gift of Time. The other two were Candida and uh, Romeo and Juliet. So, you, you know, she was playing Juliet. It was, you know, reasonably early in her career. Um, I'm sorry to say it wasn't that. Um, she was born in 16 and she, and she did Juliet in 51. But Jim Wilhelm, I used to see him um, every year at um, the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music where he used to go there to scout um, upcoming talent. And, um, and he would often talk about Olivia to He says, and I tell you this, and I've never forgotten it. I'll tell you this, if you met her now, even she's in her 90s, she would flirt with you shamelessly. (laughs) She loved doing that with men. And it doesn't matter that you would be so old. She would still flirt with you. And I'm sorry I never got the chance to have Olivia de Havilland flirt with me. So so even though she wasn't a big presence on Broadway, um, certainly we'll always remember her uh, as Melanie in Gone with the Wind. And um, recently I was reading somebody saying, you know, she should have been in the leading actress category, not the supporting actress category. Hmm. And um, I'm I'm not sure I agree with that, but I understand where the person is coming from um, because she really does have such an important uh, role in Gone with the Wind.
2: Another legend we lost during this period who lived a very, very full life was March Champion. Hmm. Uh, Born Hmm. September 2nd, 1919, died October 21st, 2020. Uh, And it turns out she, I was almost her neighbor, Um, (gasps) She lived in Manhattan Plaza for years and I uh, moved in. Earlier this year, uh, I'm not sure how long she had been gone uh, before that, but she she had moved out. But I have been since met some people in the building here who knew her, and they said she was really a, a fireball. She was very feisty and very outspoken, and and just a, a real life force of a of a, of a person. Um, incredible career, mostly in films, I suppose, uh, but lots of Broadway too. Starting in 1943 with a show called What's Up. Uh, when she Learner and Low Show. I'm sorry, what?
1: The Learner and Low Show.
2: Yeah, and, and uh, at that point, I guess it was, I don't know if it was her maiden name or her stage name, but it was Marjorie Beecher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, oh, let's see. Oh, how interesting. And then she did Dark of the Moon in 1945, and there her name was Marjorie Bell. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she did Beggar's Holiday as Marjorie Bell in 1946. And then in 48, uh, you see the name March Champion appear for the first time uh, when she was assistant to her husband, the choreographer, uh, Gower Champion, for Lend an Ear.
1: Uh, It's often been said, you know, you always hear about the woman behind the man, but Mm. supposedly she was really very much involved with the choreography for Bye Bye Birdie and Hello Dolly, that she really had a lot to say. uh, Was I there? No. Do I know for sure? No. But um, if rumors mean anything, and they may very well and they may not, one of the other, of course, um, supposedly she said, um, Gawa, why don't you do this? Um, And he took her advice and really um, had great success with both those shows as well as carnival um i understand she had a lot to do with carnival as well so um just mm-hmm. as bob avian was such a wonderful editor for michael bennett and michael bennett would have been the first one to tell you that um supposedly march champion uh, fulfilled that uh uh goal too and um <clears throat> something that i i my guess if i if i had to guess here that half our listeners know this and half don't but um she, she was um <laughs> the inspiration for the drawing of snow white. Um, you yeah, something like that. I mean, whatever the, yes. Uh, yeah. She was the model model model. Yeah, right? yes. yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Um, and I don't mean the Taylor model Cam Camzoil. No. So <laughs> yeah, she was, uh, definitely, um, in their minds when they drew snow white. So, um, uh, so that's uh, great fun too, to know, um, a lovely lady who didn't do very much I'll grant you, but, um, but did get the lead in an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. And nobody expected that to happen it was Ann Crumb? But um, mm-hmm. I, what I loved about Ann Crum, I uh, I used to see her uh, after performances. I don't mean, I, I, I happened to see her. I don't mean like I went to a dressing room or anything like that. But I at least on three occasions, I saw her come out of the stage door and people were waiting um, to get autographs. And she was so good about not just signing, but talking to the people, mm-hmm. interacting with them tell me about you. Are you going to be a performer? Uh, Oh, I hope you are. You look like you have the right look for it. All that kind of stuff. She was really so lovely to people. And she's one who I think died much too young. Um, D.A. Pennebaker, uh, who gave us (laughs) one of the most fascinating documentaries we could ever ask for. And that's the original cast album of Company, which strangely enough got parodied um, not that long ago. But, um, Yeah, as if you look at that documentary, it says at the beginning this was supposed to be one of uh, many original cast album documentaries and wouldn't have been something if that could have happened. But we have to be very grateful to uh, that uh, documentary of the recording session of Company because there are so many little details in it. The one that I really find most interesting is after Dean Jones sings Being Alive, the look on his face says, that's Mm -hmm. it. I am done with this show. (laughs) It's over. Um, It it wasn't quite. He still had to do a few performances, but you could tell that um, he was um, essentially doing the show under protest in a strange way. So... um, it really is significant to see that documentary. I'm sure all um, virtually everybody who's listening has done that by now. But if not, make sure you do, because it really is um, quite a document. And we're very lucky that D.A. Pennebaker said, yeah, I'll sign on. I'll do this. This sounds like an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have that much interest in Broadway. Not that much. So to do that, I mean, he did a documentary on The Fun Couple, uh, a play that lasted three performances that Jane Fonda was in. And um, so um, he did have an interest in Broadway, but it wasn't his focus because he was a filmmaker. But nevertheless, we're very grateful he did those.
2: And a missed opportunity or several missed opportunities uh, at the beginning of that film. There's a crawl, a, a text crawl, uh, you know, giving a little background on the film. And it says that it was to have been the yeah. first in a series. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine
1: Yeah, indeed.
2: (laughs) What else we might have had other documentaries of of cast recordings. Really unfortunate. Um, A couple of other people that we lost way, way, way too young. Of course, Nick Cordero, Mm. whose valiant, valiant battle with COVID was was very well documented. He was unforgettable in Bullets Over Broadway Um, and. Also, uh, in several other things that I saw him in and uh, met him only very briefly at a Tony Awards event, and he just seemed like the sweetest guy, so rest in peace to him. And someone else, um, I guess a lot of people did not get to see, have the pleasure of seeing this fellow perform, but Peter Saide, S-A-I-D-E, mm-hmm. um, who was in desperate measures uh, off Broadway. And he was really, really great in that he died at age 36 mm. from complications of surgery and not, not related to COVID, um, mm. as far as I know. Uh, and that was, that was a really hard one to take. So, um, I rest in peace to him as well, of course. Mm.
1: Pamela Payton Wright, who, uh, was such an important building block in the success of the effect of gamma rays. Um, Moon men Mar- uh, moon marigolds. <laughs> A lot of people, of course, um, come came out of the theater talking about Sada Thompson, who was phenomenal. Yes, she was, or even Judith Lowry, who played the old woman. And that's the 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 show that really jump-started her career. She started getting all those old lady roles. If you don't know who I mean, just imagine the person you used to see playing the old lady um, every time there needed to be a really, 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 really old lady, and that's Judith Lowry. But Pamela Payton Wright was a very important part of that project, because indeed, this is the story of a mother and a daughter, and that daughter really had to hold stage with Sata Thompson, giving this phenomenal performance. And um, I was so glad that I saw her performance of it at the Mercer Arts Center, a place that literally collapsed, literally collapsed, um, and uh, thank God nobody was in it when it happened, but but um, uh, she was uh, somebody who I saw a lot when she worked at um, Trinity, what was called then Trinity Square Repertory Company. It's now Trinity Repertory. They don't uh, have the square anymore, and it was not a square theater, believe me. Um, Adrian Hall did amazing work there. Um, she was the understudy for the um, young woman maud in the grass harp uh and uh she told me because uh, i had seen the grass harp in providence and she said that um she was always disappointed she didn't go on and she said oh nothing will ever happen to me look at me i'm just the understudy nothing's going to happen to me uh, ever and that wasn't the case at all she did have a wonderful career and uh but uh, i remember her very vividly in our wilderness in um uh, in uh, Providence, and uh, it was a lovely, lovely performance. So, so um, I liked her immeasurably, and I was very glad I got to talk to her when she was doing a play at the George Street Playhouse in New Brunswick, New Jersey. So, so yes, um, somebody who really uh, should be mentioned.
2: As I said earlier, I, I, we we cannot get to everyone. Um, mm-hmm. The the brilliant dancer Tommy Rawl, mm-hmm. uh, the incredible set designer Ming Cho Lee, mm-hmm. uh, and someone, but someone I. I can't fail to mention and, and maybe I, I will end with him is Bernard Gersten, mm. uh, who I talked about uh, several months ago because I was reading the, um, the fascinating book free for all about <laughs> the history of Joe Papp and the public theater. And I am telling you, if you read that book, you will, you will absolutely agree that if it were not f- for Bernard Gersten, there would basically be no public theater as we know it. Um, uh, nor would there probably be a, a lincoln center theater as we know it uh because he was instrumental in uh in the flourishing of of both both of those uh specific story about how uh the uh when the public theater was negotiating to acquire its uh, its theater complex down on lafayette street and uh apparently uh, there was a meeting uh, to that effect and and it almost ended in disaster because uh joseph papp was objecting to some of the terms and literally walked out of the meeting uh which i think was going to involve uh, you know the deal was going to be that the, the public would get the building for basically for free <laughs> uh but but um uh, mr pap i believe was concerned that um that if they proceeded with that deal that that he would be beholden uh to this to the city and the state or whatever and not uh have full control over the theater in terms of content and what he would produce et cetera, et cetera. so he stormed out and that was almost the end of it but uh Bernie Gersten stayed in the room and somehow managed to talk everyone back into continuing with Mm. the plan. So that, that is what he did there. And as far as Lincoln center theater, as um, Mr. there there is a clip of him in, in this Memorial video we're discussing. And he, uh, he actually talks about the Beaumont uh, theater without, without specifically mentioning it and saying how it was thought of as a, as a, Huge white elephant mm-hmm. when I was, it, saying, yeah, I
1: was going to use that expression, yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: when it was built, people said it was unworkable mm-hmm. uh, yes, un- they did. Uh, yep they, they you know and, Talk uh, and of tearing it down yep t- yes uh, yes, incredibly, believe it or mm-hmm. not, um mm-hmm. but he said you know they they just figured out <laughs> how to make it work and uh and and they did, and now I think many of us would say that it's one of the best theaters mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that that to in which to experience a, a play or a musical mm-hmm. so really bernard gersten a titanic titanic figure in the theater
1: i'll end with jerry stiller mm. um, most people of course know him from seinfeld uh, but a lot of us knew him long before that especially when he used to appear on the ed sullivan show with uh, his wife Anne mira um they were they were a wonderful team um but um he he had a fascinating history with uh, broadway he was in the original production of the golden apple playing the mayor and um in that legendary off-broadway production the show that really established off-broadway as something you had to see the three penny opera uh which uh, so many stars came out of um author certainly charlotte ray um, jerry orbeck um, so he was in that as well as Crook Finger Jack. Um, And um, if you really want to see how funny he could be, I urge you here comes Terrence McNally again to see the movie of the Ritz, Hmm. my all time favorite movies. And he's very good as playing uh, this mafioso type um, who really wants to set up his brother in law, whom he hates. Uh, to really um, have a scandal by sending him to a gay bathhouse. And poor um, Jack Weston has no idea why he's there. But um, it's a very, very funny performance. And his interaction with F. Murray Abraham in that movie, this is not the F. Murray Abraham from Amadeus, believe me, um, is is just so wonderful. I really urge you to find the Ritz and have a wonderful time with it. Um, there are a lot of in-jokes involving Broadway as well, that uh, you will savor, I guarantee you. So see Jerry Stiller in The Ritz, and see The Ritz for its own sake, and for Sharon Stiller's sake too.
2: <laughs> Jerry Stiller, who, all, who got his start at the public theater in the very, very early years. Mm-hmm. And, of course, also in the movie of The Ritz is Kay Ballard, um, mm-hmm. who we also mm-hmm. lost recently. Yeah. So the interconnections of so many of these great artists – is something else we can ponder and and uh, you know whenever we think of them and and remember all of the pleasure they gave us That's throughout right. the years. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so we talked about thirty some odd folks. Uh, And as I mentioned before, this uh, list on broadwayremembers.com is more than 325, 330-some-odd people. So just a small glimpse of it. Check out the video. Go look at the broadwayremembers.com website. It's really well done. Uh, I'm so happy that somebody stepped up and was able to uh, put together something like this. So... Before we wrap up and get onto trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, but you automatically it automatically downloads to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio Radio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to. Find a podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com, as well as uh, links to uh, some of the things we've talked about today, lots of the obituaries and uh, great remembrances of the folks who we talked about this morning. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia?
1: Yeah, the question was, eight musicals in their original productions ran somewhere between 1,500 and 1,599 performances. Writers on one of these 1,500-plus hits had previously written a play that essentially, essentially is the key word now, dealt with characters who would show up later in a different 1,500-plus performance hit, but these writers had nothing to do with it. That later musical success must have rankled them, for their play didn't even run 15 performances. Name the writers the musical and the unsuccessful play. Well, in 1965, a year before Jerome Lawrence and Robert E. Lee had a 1508 performance hit with Mame, they wrote a play called Diamond Orchid about Paulita. A South American film actress who became the wife of a military man who would come to run the country where she would be its first lady. <laughs> Sounds like a Vita, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, Diamond Orchid ran five performances, less than one three-hundredth of the run of a Vita, which ran 1,567 performances. Well, who else but Tony Janicki could answer this one? I'll tell you who. Sean Logan, Paul Witte, Jack Leshner, Richard Carey, Robert Lobiondo, and Brigadoon. That's who. So... This week's question, this performer's final Broadway appearance was in a musical that has a one-word title. It was, however, the same word that began the title of a famous Broadway musical that this performer starred in, the film version. Who's the performer, and what are the musicals?
0: You let down your people, Polita. (laughs) 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 All right. If you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you are on the right track. So on behalf of Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 many years fighting back tears. Why can't the bush just
2: Say goodbye. Help me say.